Well, good morning, everybody. So great to be back with you. My name's Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I've had two weeks of vacation, and so I am fired up and ready to go. I hope you are, too, this morning. Uh, Before we get started, I've got a a great personnel announcement I want to make. I'm excited to let you know that we are adding to our staff again. Uh, We have a guy coming on staff uh, in just a couple weeks. His name is Justin Tunmore. Uh, Justin and his wife, Kelly, are right here. Justin uh, is coming on staff as our Noblesville uh, worship pastor. He's actually going to be our, our pastor of worship and programming, which means he'll be leading the entire programming process for the Noblesville and the Carmel campus. So he'll be uh, Michael's boss. And if you have been over at our Noblesville campus at all, you might know Joel Burkhead. Joel has done an incredible job in the past six months of stepping up and leading worship for us there. But he will finally get to exercise his uh, considerable skills in video graphics, and tech. And so we're very excited. Michael's very excited. Uh, Joel's very excited. We conducted a nationwide search using the best-known church staffing firm in all of the land, and we got a call from a guy in Westfield who <laughs> saw this ad and is interested in coming. So Justin and his wife, Kelly, are currently on staff at, the, at Northview Church, actually at their Westfield campus. He called us, um, started pursuing this position, and we met, we talked with people um, from several states, and Justin was just a, an incredible fit. He lines up with what we're doing here as far as helping people find their way back to God. He wants to be in a church that's a disciple-making church, and so we're very, very excited to welcome Justin and Kelly to our staff. Now, why am I announcing it here if he's the Noblesville worship pastor? Well, because, um, I don't know if you know this, but Michael and Haley are about to have a baby. And so there's a very real possibility in the next couple of weeks that Justin is going to be here with us. And I don't want you to be caught off guard if he's here leading worship for us. So uh, we're excited about Justin and Kelly. And I hope that if you get a chance to see them in the next couple of weeks, that you'll welcome them to the Genesis family. We're so excited. Hey, I wonder, have you ever received an unexpected gift? You know, like maybe somebody drops by the house with a baked good uh, or a gift card, something you weren't expecting. Maybe your child got an award that uh, they weren't expecting, you weren't expecting, and maybe you even thought they didn't, you really weren't sure they deserved it. Like, really? Best behaved? Hmm, you haven't seen them at home. Maybe you were cleaning out the closet one day and you found something that you had been looking for for a long time, and maybe it's even been lost for so long that you'd forgotten you even had it. What a great surprise, right? Or um, our, our best example is, I don't know if you've ever seen, if you still get the newspaper, uh, but in the newspaper about a couple times a year, they print this big list of all the unclaimed money in Indiana. Have you seen this, this Indiana unclaimed thing? Or sometimes they'll mail it to your house and you, you open to your last name and then you go, okay, if you're a lady, maybe you open to your maiden name to try to see if your name's in there. Well, we got one of these a couple years ago and looked it up and sure enough on you know, page 44 of this thing or whatever, there was Steve Wallen and it had $75 in there. And we called and we went through the process and uh, a couple weeks later, we get a check in the mail for $75 that we didn't even know we had. Isn't that great? Or maybe this week, as it started to cool off, you grab the jacket down out of the closet, you put it on, you reach into your pocket, and there was a crisp crisp $100 bill in there that you'd forgotten all about. (laughs) That happened to anybody this week? Okay. Well, isn't it great when you get an unexpected gift, when you get an undeserved reward? Or we're going to read the story today of a woman who got an undeserved gift. Open your Bibles, if you have them, to Luke chapter 7. Uh, That's where we're going to spend all morning. If you don't have a Bible, you'll see one of these on the floor around you. Um, And if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift gift to you. We want you to take this with you. It's page 721 in this Bible, 721, Luke chapter 7. One day, the great Christian apologist C.S. Lewis, who you probably know for uh, his Narnia books, C.S. Lewis walked into a room where there were a group of men that were discussing what among all the world religions makes Christianity unique. 
And as they got, kind of traveled around the room, and they got to C.S. Lewis's turn, and uh, he replied immediately, that's easy, it's grace. And then he went on to explain that no other religion teaches the concept of a God who takes the initiative to respond with undeserved favor to sinners. See, every other religion is founded on the principle that you must do something to reach out to God, to please him. And, and they may have different names or different types of gods and, uh, or whatever, but at the very core of those belief systems is our effort and trying to live to earn the favor of a God, to pay whatever price that that God demands uh, for his loyalty and hopefully win his favor. But at the heart of Christianity is the good news that God already did the work that God is the one reaching down to us, that God paid the debt. And so it's not about what we can do, but about what he has done to bridge that gap uh, between us and him, to bridge the gap that sin caused and make it possible for people like me and people like you to find forgiveness and to be in a relationship with him. We call it grace. Grace is what makes our faith so great. Grace is the unmerited or undeserved favor, the undeserved gift towards sinner. I love towards sinners. I love how Pastor Tony Evans says it. He says, grace is the inexhaustible supply of God's goodness, whereby he does for us what we could never do for ourselves. Grace is the work that God has done in Jesus to solve a problem that we could never solve on our own. Ephesians 2 says it this way, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. A free gift, a gift from God, available to me and available to you. And it doesn't matter what you've done. And that's what we're gonna see today in this story from Luke 7. We're gonna start in verse 36. And so if you have your Bibles, turn them there. If not, they'll be on the screen here. Uh, You can read along with me. We're gonna read through the story and then we're gonna make a little bit of application there at the end. Uh, Luke 7, 36 says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, Simon was a Pharisee. This is the man we're gonna see. We're gonna find out his name is Simon. He is a Pharisee. A Pharisee was one of the religious leaders of the day. They were the teachers of the law. Uh, They were very very well-versed in Scripture. They would have uh, likely memorized Scripture. They would have uh, known all of the laws. And Simon invites Jesus into his home for dinner. Now, that speaks of his respect for Jesus as a rabbi. But what we're going to see is that Simon doesn't offer any of the hospitality that would have been common courtesy uh, to a guest Jesus reclines at the table. This is what we're going to see. This is going to be important for you to understand this story. I almost hate to demonstrate this for you, but the common way to sit at a table would have been like this. The table would be here. It would have been a low table. They would be sitting like this. Jesus would have been sitting here. His feet were behind him. You wouldn't want to put your feet on the table, just like you may encourage your kids not to put their feet on the table, but there's an extra incentive not to put your feet on the table. We'll talk about in just a minute. Um, So guests would lie usually on one elbow, their uh, feet behind them, and generally guests would remove their sandals, and they would have their feet washed by a servant uh, in the home. And then they would, uh, so here's verse 37, says, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, so this is a woman that clearly they knew about, that had a reputation, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, At his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, often in these stories, uh, Scripture leaves some holes, right? Like in this example, we don't even know this woman's name. We don't know who she is. We don't know what she's done. We know that she's lived a sinful life, which seems to be different than being a sinner. The Bible would often refer to people as sinners, 
but she has lived a sinful life, which maybe is uh, higher, uh, harder to accomplish than just being a sinner. Um, I think it can be dangerous when we try to fill these holes definitively with things we don't know, but I think it can be instructive and even helpful to understanding Scripture when we don't make assumptions, but we play the what-if game. And we start to say, what could be happening in this passage? So let's, let's play the what-if game with this woman. Let's talk about a few things about this woman and about this interaction. First of all, we know this. She came with an alabaster jar uh, full of perfume. Uh, this would have been, this is an alabaster jar, could be an example. It was full of perfume. Now, we don't know what the perfume was. If it was nard, which may be the case, uh, it could cost as much as a year's worth of wages. The purchase of such a gift would constitute an extraordinary sacrifice for a person, but we don't know if she actually purchased it. Do you know who would have an alabaster jar full of perfume as part of her uh, tool of her trade? Would be a prostitute. Was she a prostitute? We don't know for sure. We know she lived a sinful life, but it's surely a possibility. We know she had a bad reputation. Simon's going to point that out in a minute. We already know Luke said she lived a sinful life. We know she wasn't invited to this party, to this dinner, And we know that she entered and knelt behind Jesus anyway. So Jesus is reclining on the ground, up on one elbow, his feet are behind him. This woman enters the room and comes in behind his feet. Did she come intending to anoint Jesus with his perfume? We don't know. Or maybe she was just on her way to work. And she had this alabaster jar of perfume on her way to work. And she had heard that Jesus was there. Or she walked by the door. And often in these interactions, in these dinners, the Pharisees would leave the doors open because it showed that they had an important guest in their house. And people were welcome to walk by and walk in and hear what was going on here. So it's possible she was on her way to work, walking with her alabaster jar, which she would have protected with her life. It was very valuable. And she heard this interaction going on, and she walked in the door. We don't know. Um, Maybe hearing the conversation, this woman realized that Jesus was very special, special and so special that her, his presence and what he was saying moved her to tears. Or maybe she had heard John the Baptist's message about forgiveness of sin. So she came, with Jesus, came to Jesus with that in mind. She came with great sorrow over her sin. Obviously, she starts crying over him, crying over his feet. It could be that her sins were behind her that she had led a sinful life, but she'd already put that life behind her. She had discovered forgiveness and was now coming to Jesus to say thank you. Maybe she sold everything that she owned to buy this perfume, to pour out this offering, to say thank you. You see what I mean when you start to play out the scenarios, how this might be helpful to understanding the scripture? Maybe it was her livelihood, and she poured out the perfume on his feet as a way of saying, I'm done with my old ways. I won't be needing this anymore. Whatever the story, Whoever she is, however she got there, she comes to Jesus. She's crying. She's wiping his feet with her tears and her hair. She's on the floor at his feet. This is the position uh, of a slave, of a servant. It was very rude of Simon not to offer a servant to wash Jesus' feet when he came in. You know, but she wanted something no one but Jesus could offer, and so she went to where he was. And whatever she knew about Jesus before, she now knows him to be a friend of sinners. You know, think about this. This woman, it tells us that she unbound her hair. She wasn't afraid to unbind her hair. Many scholars believe this would be the cultural equivalent today of a woman bearing her bare breasts. This was such a big deal that she unbound her hair to wash Jesus' feet with it. Um, And she falls at his feet, completely throws herself at the mercy of Jesus. Now, if we put it all together, the posture, the crying, the financial sacrifice, the act of worship. This is clearly an act of worship at the feet of Jesus. It's clear what we see in this woman is that she had godly sorrow over her sin. 
You know, the Bible has a very clear differentiation between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. It says uh, godly sorrow leads to repentance, but worldly sorrow leads to death. So what's the difference? Well, here's a good differentiator. Worldly sorrow makes us look around. Who can I blame? What circumstances cause this to happen? What could someone have done to stop it? Uh, Who else could be at fault? Uh, Who else had a responsibility in this? So while worldly sorrow looks around, godly sorrow looks up. It looks at the cross and at the one who paid the price for our sin and says, I can't believe I grieved my God with my sin. I'm so sorry. It was my sin that caused that. It was my fault. I have one friend that says, beware of anyone who says, I'm sorry, but. I'm sorry, but. So uh, when you're trying to know the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, one thing you can say is that worldly sorrow always has a big but. But see, you'll remember that now, right? So this woman comes and displays her godly sorrow by pouring out her tears and her sacrifice on Jesus. She pours out her praise on him. And in the process, this unnamed woman reminds us that we are never, we are never in danger of overpraising Jesus. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And so Simon sees what this woman is doing. He rebukes her, but in the rebuke, it's, it's not because she's come into this place. It's not because she came to the meal, but it's because she didn't stay on the sidelines. She didn't stay in her place, you know, but he's also rebuking Jesus here. He, he believed that any dignified rabbi would have resisted such a sinner. See, the Pharisees would have avoided contact with this kind of uncleanness, and this Pharisee had no desire to help her experience freedom and forgiveness. Jesus actually pointed this out to the Pharisee about the Pharisees. He said that they obeyed every dot and tittle of the law, but they didn't have the love of God in their heart. So Simon judged her as a sinner and shoved her aside. His group had shut themselves off from common people. Uh, No wonder Jesus' compassion and forgiveness provided such a relief to people like this woman because they weren't used to getting that, especially from the, even the religious people of the day. The Pharisees made every effort to obey every letter of the law. And for this man, the problem was with his heart. So Jesus held the only answer, complete and total forgiveness. And obviously, Simon didn't understand it in this phrase, and so um, Jesus, as he often does, tells a story to point this out to Simon, the Pharisee. Uh, We'll go on verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. He says, now, how do you imagine Simon saying this? Uh, Isn't it great that we get to put our own emotions, our own feelings into those stories? Can, Can you feel the tension that's being created here? Clearly, Simon has a problem with what Jesus is doing letting this woman touch him. And so uh, he's, he's saying that, or at least thinking it in his mind, and Jesus confronts him with it and says, I've got something to tell you. And Simon, uh, to me, it sounds like Simon's already made up his mind what he believes about Jesus and that he likely felt morally superior to this rabbi who was in his house. He didn't really have any interest in what Jesus had to say. Uh, he didn't really care what Jesus thought, but he did care intensely about what the other people who were in his home thought. And so he humors Jesus um, by listening to his story. Tell me, teacher, he says. Jesus goes on with his story. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, a denarius was a usual day's wage for a day laborer. In fact, uh, if you think about this, it's uh, one and a half years, 500 denarii, one and a half years wages 
versus 50, which would be one and a half months wages. So just do the math in your head real quick, um, right? One and a half, what's that in real money? One and a half years wages. In fact, this might be helpful. Just turn to your neighbor and tell them what a year and a half's wages is for you. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> Stop right there. But you got that in your head, one and a half years wages. So one man owes him a year and a half wages. One owes him a month and a half wages. Uh, neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both, as moneylender did. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, and put your own emphasis on this, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, said Jesus. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I have entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. So Simon, we see, has committed several hospitality errors, several social errors with Jesus. He neglected to wash his feet. Now, if you think about this, we talked about this a minute ago, but uh, you wouldn't want your feet on the table today. But in those days, often wore sandals, dirt roads, dust being kicked up everywhere, uh, shared the roads with horses and other farm animals, which would have left um, deposits uh, on the road, which they likely would have walked through. Feet were nasty, gross things. And so it would have been common courtesy to wash their feet before dinner. Uh, Simon didn't offer the kiss of greeting. That was very common even for men to greet each other with a kiss. He didn't anoint his head with oil. Uh, for Simon, it was okay to be with Jesus as long as it didn't inconvenience him. I wonder if that rings true for anyone today. For this woman, on the other hand, it wasn't enough for her just to be with Jesus. She wanted to worship him, to love him well, to serve him. So she lavished tears, anointed his feet with expensive perfume, and kissed him. And Jesus accepted her offering. He was full of grace. And he goes on in this story. Therefore, I tell you, verse 47, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. So clearly this woman knew that her sins were many. The fact that her sins were forgiven moved her to much love for Jesus. Let's not miss this part, right? What Jesus says is that, let me draw a distinction here, that it wasn't her actions that gave her forgiveness, her, her faith in Jesus despite her sins is what saved her. Her actions were a result Maybe we should say a response to the forgiveness that she offered. Although it's God's grace through faith that saves, not love, not generosity. Remember Ephesians 2 that we talked about earlier in the message. This woman's act demonstrated her true faith, and Jesus honored her faith by telling her, letting her know in no uncertain terms, you are forgiven. It's an incredible reminder to us that whenever sin and grace collide, grace always wins. Grace always wins. So Simon the Pharisee saw this person who was a nuisance in this woman, an embarrassment to herself, an embarrassment to others, and he put her on the sidelines, and Jesus saw a person in need, and he met that need, and he caused a stir. Verse 49 says, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this man, who is this, who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In this passage, what we see is the silly arrogance of the Pharisees and the humility of the sinful woman are laid side by side. Simon remains seated. Simon waits to be served. And the woman throws herself 
in the service of Jesus. The sinful woman is at the feet of Jesus, wiping his feet with her hair, uh, washing his feet with her tears. This woman places her faith in Jesus and receives forgiveness for her sins. But Simon doubts Jesus's authority to even forgive sins. In fact, this wouldn't have been uncommon. What doesn't make Simon unusual? The Pharisees, and in fact, many of the Jews at the time, didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. But just a few months later, Jesus would go to the cross and willingly lay down his life. Willingly, he gave himself Scripture says he gave himself up for us so that she could be forgiven. And I have no doubt now that that woman who had such a reputation, who the Bible describes as had led a sinful life, who had such sorrow over her many sins that because of the grace of God, the free gift that's offered to each and every one of us, that woman is spending eternity with God right now. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, I've put four application points in your notes if you want to follow along. Or if you've got the Genesis app, you can open that up. You can take notes. Uh, four, four things that we need to keep in mind. Number one is this. We all need forgiveness. The woman needed forgiveness. Her sins were great. Simon needed forgiveness. Jesus talked about that in this story. He said there's uh, someone who owed a large debt and someone who owed a small debt, and both of them were forgiven. You know, we should stop and understand that Jesus made it a point to dine with tax collectors and sinners. You know that. You know he was a friend of sinners because he understood their need for forgiveness. But he dined with Pharisees too. It doesn't matter what you've done or what kind of life you've lived. No matter how great or acceptable our culture may view your sins, you know, we all have sin, right? And some of us, it's very visible. And some of us, uh, we tend to put a ranking on sin. We tend to say, well, this is much worse than that, and I've only got this sin. This is the only sin I'm struggling with. You know, pride's the only sin I'm struggling with. Gossip is the only sin I'm struggling with. Gluttony is the only sin I'm struggling with. (laughs) Jesus says, all that is sin. It all needs to be forgiven. No matter how acceptable our culture may view your sin, it's sin. And because of sin, we all need God's forgiveness. And so for those of you who have been in church for a while, you hear a message like this and you go, oh, this is great. This is a gospel message. Man, I wish my unbeliever friends were here. I'm so glad that we've got some non-Christians in the room that are here to hear this message. I'm so glad that we've got some new believers that are good to be reminded of this. But I gotta tell you, I needed this message this week. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded that none of us are beyond the reach of God's grace, that we all need forgiveness. And we're not all prostitutes. We're not all adulterers or embezzlers, or addicts. Some of us are, and I'm glad you're here. But too many of us have the tendency to think, you know, I'm pretty good. I don't really have these problems that this woman has. In fact, if you had to rate yourself from one to 10 on how sinful you are, 10 being I'm good, and one being I'm the most sinful, I bet most people in this room, you'd give yourself a six, seven, or eight. Right? Rate yourself one to 10. 10 is good, one is bad. We're, I'm, a, I'm about a six. I'm about a seven. <laughs> but that's at odds with what Scripture says about you. The Bible says that all of us are sinful, that we all fall short of the glory of God, that there is not one who is righteous. But we have to understand that bad news so that we can get the good news. The good news is that, too, it's God who forgives sins. That when we sin, we sin against God and we owe him. There's a a debt that has to be paid. Notice again the parable that Jesus shared. It's, It's of a borrower and a lender. The story of forgiveness is really a story of debt, 
a debt that has to be owed, a debt that has to be paid. And in Jesus' story, the lender forgave both the large debtor and the small one. But guess what? Somebody had to assume the debt. Anytime a debt is forgiven, somebody assumes a responsibility for that. You know, maybe you've heard a lot in the news the past few weeks about Puerto Rico and the hurricane has left this island devastated and its infrastructure is practically ruined and much of the island is still without power and without water and basic services. And I've seen many proposals over the last few weeks for how to, let's face it, this island was in financial trouble before the hurricane hit. And now it's devastated. And one of those solutions I've seen that's pretty common, comes up quite a bit, is to cancel the debt that Puerto Rico owes, and especially, particularly, that it owes to the United States. But it's not that simple because that debt is owed to someone. It's owed to governments, it's owed to businesses, and it's owed to people. And if that debt is canceled, somebody has to pay for it, right? If you, have, if you hold bonds in your retirement account that are from Puerto Rico, you end up bearing the debt of that. In the same way, when our debt to God was canceled, somebody had to pay for it. Grace says that the lender was willing to pay the price. That's what Jesus did for us. Not only did he cancel the debt, he absorbed the debt. He took it on himself. And that free gift is offered to anyone who trusts Jesus, which leads us to point three. The third application we can take away is that faith is the way to forgiveness. He offers forgiveness. He offers salvation. We can't earn it. It's a free gift. All we can do is receive it. We've got to believe that his word is good and that it's true. We've got to have faith. You know, I preached, last time I preached here, two weeks, uh, three weeks ago, I preached about faith and I know this, that all of us go through dry spells in our faith. We all go through phases of our lives where God feels distant, where we don't really want to be in the Word. We kind of stop reading the Bible because it's, it seems to be falling on dry soil. We don't go to church as often as we should because the Word of God just seems to bounce off our skin, right? We can't penetrate our hearts. And I mean, I, I mean, I'm still a Christian, but I just don't really need to be in church right now or you know, I'm following Jesus, but I'm caught up in this really bad pattern, or I'm a believer, but I just feel like the enemy's winning in my life right now. And that's why I think it's so important to, uh, as, as Paul Tripp, author Paul Tripp says, to preach the gospel to yourself daily, right? To preach the gospel. What is that? Preach to myself. Yes, I think it's important that we share the gospel with others. We've got to preach the gospel to other people, brothers and sisters. It is just as important to preach to yourself. I have to do this all the time. And here's what it looks like. Self. If God is for you, who can be against you? You know, it's no longer Steve who lives, but Christ who lives within Steve. For God so loved Steve that he gave his one and only son that when Steve believes in him, he will not perish but have eternal life. Try it. Take your favorite verse and put your name in it. You know, I can't think of a better reason than to memorize scripture than to be able to preach the gospel to yourself on a daily basis. And when we recognize our need for forgiveness and that it's God who forgives sin and that forgiveness is through faith and we can do the fourth thing, and the fourth thing is that we are given a new life. Jesus said, go in peace. Basically, he told this woman, you can't carry this anymore. You don't need to have this on your conscience. Sometimes even those of us who are forgiven, we like to lay down our sin at the feet of Jesus and walk away and then go, you know what, I, I might need this again later. And we pick it back up and we carry it with us. We, we turn back around and then take it with us again. But the forgiveness Jesus offers is a once and for all forgiveness. It's, it's an I'm taking your burdens on kind of forgiveness. I personally love the idea or the theory that this woman had been a prostitute. And she brings this entire expensive jar of perfume and pours it out on Jesus saying, I'm a new creation. I'm not going to need this anymore. 
I wonder if you're a Christian, if you've done that. Have you done that? Have you, have you died to your old self? Have, if you have a problem accepting forgiveness, maybe you haven't died to yourself. Maybe you need to literally have a funeral service for the old you. Like, just pull a Taylor Swift, right? Like the old me can't come to the phone right now because he's dead. You might need to do that. Whenever the, your past calls, you can say, I'm sorry, the old me can't come right now, I'm dead. Leave the guilt behind, leave the shame. You have a new life, a new focus, a new mission. You are a citizen of heaven. You're a new creation and as a part of that, you have a responsibility to help lead others to the feet of Jesus. You know, the forgiveness that Jesus offers is complete forgiveness. Now, just for a moment, let's take a mental journey back through the story, all right? Rewind to the beginning. But this time, it's you that's reclining at the table in the place of Jesus, and this sinful woman comes up and starts washing your feet. How does the story play out this time? Is it different if it's you? Does anything change in this situation? Let's be honest. Forgiveness is hard. It takes a long time sometimes. There's a reason that Jesus says you should forgive your brother not seven times, but 70 times seven. Because sometimes, don't we, isn't it true, we need to forgive the same person 70 times seven times for the same stupid thing? Forgiveness is a process. It doesn't always happen in a day, but for our good and for our mental health, for our physical health, we need to forgive. We need to learn to offer the complete forgiveness that Jesus offers. Not to forgive is to put ourselves in the place of God and say, God, I know you may forgive that person, but I think you're wrong. Now, here's the thing. This is fascinating to me. We don't know what happened to this woman. I mean, there's a lot of things we don't know about her. We don't know her name. We don't know where she came from. We do know that at one point there's a similar story with Mary, the sister of Martha, but that's not this story. That happens the week of the Passover, right before Jesus dies. We're, we're led to believe for every, uh, every, almost every scholar believes this is a separate event. We don't know what happened to her, but I think it's telling that right after this story in Luke 7, Luke 8 starts with this. Luke 8, 1 says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and listen to this, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven de- uh, demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the mer- manager of Herod's household. Boy, I bet that was some difficult Thanksgiving conversations right there. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them, support the ministry of Jesus out of their own means. I don't think it's a coincidence that Luke mentions this right after the encounter with this woman. Remember, uh, Luke didn't put chapters and verse numbers in there. We did that much later. So in Luke's mind, it seems to be a natural progression from being forgiven, being a worshiper, to being a supporter of the ministry. It's almost as if he's saying, once you realize that you're forgiven, once you realize the price of grace, you can't help but want to pay that back. Now realize, listen to this, we can never, we can never pay back the free gift of grace. And we don't need to try. However, what we see over and over again in scripture is people who are forgiven and then out of the overflow of their lives, they become a part of the ministry. They they travel with Jesus, they serve, they give financially out of their own means. Why? Not because they're obligated to, but because when you received an unexpected gift, you want other people to receive it too. 
Maybe you've got an alabaster jar of something you've been keeping aside just in case. Not necessarily financial. Maybe it's financial. But it might be a talent. Maybe it's a skill that no one knows about. Maybe it's time to put that on display. It could be anything that's keeping you from experiencing the grace and mercy of Jesus. Would you really want that jar to stand in the way of your relationship with God? Remember, we are never in danger of overpraising Jesus. And I honestly can't think of a better investment for my time and my money than in telling people the good news about Jesus. Can you? I mean, I understand there's a lot of things in our life that we can give our lives to. But I believe that there are none more important than helping people find their way back to God. That's why I'm here. And that's why many of you are here. Let's go back to that first question I asked you about that unexpected gift. Let's just say this week, you did put on that jacket and you did reach into that pocket and there was a $100 bill there. I bet you'd spend an awful lot of time thinking about, planning for, and scheming how you were going to spend that. How much more important that you give careful consideration to what you're going to do with the one life you have on earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, What an incredible gift that story is. An incredible story of grace and mercy and forgiveness all wrapped up in an interaction with one woman and one Pharisee. I'm so thankful for the gift of scripture and how it leads us into your presence and how it causes us to think about our own lives and uh, Lord, what you might be trying to say to us today. God, I wanna pray for people in this room who are feeling unforgiven this morning. If they are in Christ, they're in you, they've placed their hope and their trust in you, but they come into this room today and they feel like a disaster. They're a wreck. They feel like they failed you. They feel like they've let you down. Lord, I'm so thankful for the story of grace you've given us this morning. I'm so thankful for the way you lavish your grace upon us, that when we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive our sins. God, I pray for those in this room who are having trouble offering forgiveness right now. Whether it's to a friend who's betrayed them or a spouse that's done something to a child or a parent. God, what a great reminder of your forgiveness, that your forgiveness is complete forgiveness and that we need to place that in your hands and let you be the one who judges and that we can get healing when we forgive those who have sinned against us. I praise you for that. I thank you for your great example in that, in this story. Lord, help us to walk in your grace this week. Help us to walk in your mercy. Help us to realize who Jesus is and why he was sent here. Lord, as we come to you and we sing your praises, help us to sing it from the bottom of our heart. We praise, pray these things in Jesus' name.